Episode 187, Martina Kallmeyer, Leadership Coach and Team Building Strategist. Well, my favorite uh, mistake dates back to my time at Textron when I uh, uh, had the uh, business unit. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Martina, her work, her podcast, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 187. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Our guest today is Martina Kohlmeyer. She is the founder of Power Up Your Team. She's the host of a podcast with that same name. So I hope you'll go um, check that out. But uh, Martina is a leadership coach. She's a team building strategist. She guides CEOs and founders and high growth companies to build a resilient team so they can scale and win in the marketplace. So before I, I tell you a little bit more about Martina, first off, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you, Mark. I'm very well, and I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you for being here. Um, before she became an entrepreneur, uh, Martina spent 30, more than 30 years working for small companies, Fortune 100 companies, including General Electric, Textron, Fidelity Investments, and Liberty Mutual. Uh, Martina held a variety of executive roles focused on both continuous improvement and driving large-scale strategic change initiatives. Uh, she was in a PL leadership role. She managed the successful turnaround of a $1.3 billion asset portfolio management company. Um, so Martina was born and raised in Germany. That's where you still live today, correct? No, I'm in Boston. You are I'm in- actually in the United States, yes. So that, that was uh, my memory mistake. I greeted Martina before we started recording by saying good afternoon, which was a mistake on top of the mistake. That's that's okay. We are all global. <laughs> yeah. So Boston. Yeah, that makes sense between Fidelity Investments and Liberty Mutual. Yeah. Presence there, right? Yes, yes. That's right. That's what got me to Boston. Okay, good. Um, Martina's website is powerupyourteam.com. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And again, her podcast, Power Up Your Team. You can search that wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, you know, before we we dive into the question at hand. Uh, I want to give a a shout out and a thank you to Karen Ross, who was uh, a guest back in episode three of the podcast. Um, Karen introduced uh, me to Martina. Um, Tell us real quickly about some of your connection to Karen. Yeah, Karen and I worked together at Liberty Mutual in continuous uh, improvement. And that's how we got to know each other. And then, of course, we stayed in touch because our passions align very nicely. Karen is focused on kind leadership. I'm helping CEOs founders build a, a resilient team. So that aligns very much. And so we stay connected in our entrepreneurial roles as well. And yeah, Karen, Karen's great. I hear her voice in the back of my head reminding me to be kind to myself about misremembering that you are now in Boston. So I will 
put that out of my head and try that's to right out. put it out of your head and uh, you you can't tell by my accent right i'm trying to tell people this is a boston accent but nobody believes <laughs> me so don't worry about it and so this cow this pride we both wear the heart of kindness that we both got from karen Yes, for, for, for those who are just listening to the podcast, um, you, you, you can't see as you could on YouTube, we're both wearing uh, a pin. It's a green button with a red heart. That is the logo and the symbol of um, Karen's foundation, the Love and Kindness Project Foundation. I have a, a whole coffee mug full of those pins that Karen uh, sent me and, and I give them away to people. But um, it might be a mistake. I'm going to embarrass you, Martina. Karen told me that you were the best manager she ever had. Yeah, that is very flattering, and that makes me very proud. And Karen is also one of the most dedicated, fun team members I ever had around. Yeah. So I can give the compliment right back. Well, that's that's kind of you. And um, for those who want to listen to Karen's favorite mistake story, you can go back to episode three uh, again to uh, to find that and uh, to find Karen. So Martina, back to you. Um, we've gotten past my most recent mistake. Um, of of all the interesting things you've done in different stages of your career, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, my favorite uh, mistake dates back to my time at Textron when I uh, uh, had the uh, business unit. Uh, and so it has to do with not understanding the purpose of a process. And uh, that was a mistake that uh, I made along with many of my peers at the time. And it happened that we implemented the strategy alignment process. It's also known as Hoshan goal deployment, but it's a process to ensure that the organization is focused on the most important work. That's fundamentally what it does. And it comes with a lot of uh, reporting, a lot of measuring, a lot of discipline to make sure that everyone in the organization does their part to bring this organization to the next level or to achieve breakthrough. And so we as newbies, we started to implement it. The great news was everyone, the CEO at the Texon level, the CEO at Texon Financial, everyone was engaged, was committed to the process. And in all our excitement of having this new process that would help us to, to, to exceed expectations, to become a great company, we put every possible project you can imagine that had remotely anything to do with financial uh, achievements, with customer loyalty improvement, with employee engagement, or with operational excellence, we put everything on the matrix. And what happened then in the monthly report outs, they became so long-winded. And at the executive level, we went through updates that weren't really meaningful for them. Updates that were really standard continuous improvement work as opposed to breakthrough initiatives. And so at the end of the day then, as we had I will never forget this metric as an organization. We had one action plan for every 10 employees. And then there was a day where somebody said, you know, if you have that many breakthrough needs, it's really surprising that you are still in business. <laughs> and right. I said, wow. And we felt the redundancy to the standard operating review. Then all these projects were reviewed. And so after we 
lived in this pain for one cycle of implementation. It's a year cycle, as you know. We realized that we did not understand the purpose and intent of the process. And so what we had mixed up is really a focus on organizational breakthrough, uh, like creating a structure to make sure that the organization can achieve things they have never done before. And so for us, it was like uh, implementing a completely new lease loan processing platform for the whole company or opening an international office or embarking on a completely new market. And what we had put on this matrix is continuous improvement on our processes. Like, oh, uh, for instance, improving the commercial invoice or uh, in creating an online invoicing and payment interface for clients. Now, that was all important to us. It's not that it wasn't important, but it was continuous improvement. So by not understanding the purpose of a process, we caused ourselves a heck of a lot more work. And so I want to talk more, you know, thank you, Martina, for sharing that. I, I want to talk more about, like, you know, what was the impact of that mistake and the, the yeah. recognition of it. And, you know, before we do that, you know, just to share a few things uh, you know, uh, for listeners who, who don't work in uh, the continuous improvement realm like Martina and I do, just you know, uh, real quick in terms of terminology. You know, within what we might call lean management or the Toyota production system, there's this method Martina referenced. Um, Hoshin is a Japanese word. Um, Hoshin Kanri is the phrase that's sometimes used in Japanese. It means management compass. Right. So what Martina was describing, strategy deployment, strategy alignment, it, it's, it's meant to, before I turn it back to you, Martina, get you know, the organization aligned in terms of priorities and making yes. sure we're not spreading time and attention and resources too thin. So, so, so back to what you shared with us, um, kind of along the lines of spreading management attention too thin, like what was the impact of reporting out on too many improvements instead of just reporting out yeah. on the breakthrough initiatives? Yes, great, great question. So the impact was that it started in my own operating unit where we prepared documentation, right? So we had initiatives that were in the standard Six Sigma, DMAIC, DFSS, or Lean method methodology. They were reported and created in those formats. Then we had to report them in in the goal deployment format, report it, measure progress, have action plans in case we were behind. So there was a, an enormous amount of processing, over-processing, frankly, happening that involved me, my team, and frankly, every employee in my operating unit. And then in the monthly review, there was a, a lot of redundancy to the to the standard financial review. And frankly, it felt really, really uh, not a good use of time to have the executive of the organization to look at small incremental improvements that were happening in all operating units. So it was not a good of time. It was waste of time. It was over-processing and waste of time. And it felt like it felt very uneasy. We kind of had this feeling that this wasn't quite it yet. We were kind of on the road, but you know, something 
isn't right here. And it took reflection and insights to then see what what it is that was driving uh, us being off in the application of that process. So, so what prompted that reflection and insight? Because that, that's not always guaranteed to happen in an organization. Maybe because of your continuous improvement mindset, that's more natural for you. But like, yeah. did, did some of the executives start complaining or stop coming to these yeah, meetings? They, no, no, no. They wouldn't. They are not coming, right? Okay. That didn't fly. No, no. Okay. There were, <laughs> they were uh, questions mm-hmm. and we started to skip, right? So the good news is with the process, we only rev- had to review the, the projects after a while that were not on track. So that was a big relief, right? But still, uh, people made comments about it. And um, what then happened, frankly, once I got into my next role, so I, I moved then from being the leader of this operating uh, unit to becoming the Six Sigma leader for the organization. And only then, really, I saw the whole impact. I saw how many action plans we had. And I looked through everything what people would put on it. And then I sat with my new team and said, what is it that we are doing wrong? And so I then had to go on a, on a road to socialize uh, my insights, validate my insights, which is on the one hand, this process meant for breakthrough. And on the other hand, we are putting continuous improvement initiatives on the, on the matrix. And what was so interesting in that process is that we operated with the work strategic. So all the strategic stuff should be on it, not the tactical stuff. But the interesting thing is strategic is a relative term. What is strategic, uh, at, there's one strategy level at the overall business level, but within an operating unit, what t- is tactical for the company on large may be very strategic for a single operating unit. And that is what caused the misalignment. So I went in, in in good Six Sigma methodology. I came with operating definitions and said, breakthrough is this, continuous improvement is this. We always have continuous improvement. And there's always, always stretch in our operating plans, right? Every year we want to get a little bit more revenue. Every year we are making tweaks to our products. Every year we are changing our systems, our platforms. So what is it what belongs on this matrix? And we said, we we agreed that on this matrix is stuff that we have never done before, stuff where we don't currently have the skills to execute, stuff where we don't have the resources, either financial or people, baked into the operating plans of every business unit. And that is truly the stuff that means then breakthrough for the whole company. And with that new definition and alignment around the definition, we then could literally pair this whole strategy alignment process down so that it was really meaningful for the top executives at the com- uh, at the top level of the company. Yeah. yeah, so it sounds like things got back on track. And as you mentioned, Martina, annual cycles, the strategy deployment process is not a project. It, it's meant to be part of the management system yes. of the company over time. So tell, tell us, you know, kind of wrap up the story around this. Um, getting it back on track led to what then 
for future. Yes. So frankly, it took us in the third year, I, we had this insight. So these things, I mean, it's, it's learning and organization learns, right? And so I don't believe you can possibly get it perfect and right the first time, right? And so in the third year, then we, we literally trimmed that process down and the effect on it, of course, by decoupling continuous improvement from this breakthrough uh, management tool, we had much less processing to do. The, the review, the monthly review, review took two hours instead of six hours it was quick and there was a clear differentiation between a standard operating review where we go through kpis and the financials to the gdp it was very focused and very targeted yeah i mean there's some different mistakes sort of embedded in what you talked through uh, about there you know you, you you talked about the evolution to what some might call management by exception right it would be yeah. a mistake to go through this project is green. This project is green. This project is on track. Like, why, why are you reviewing that if yes. it's happily on track instead of focusing executives towards here is something that's behind schedule? How can we help? How can we support? Yes. How can we align resources? That's really yeah. how it yeah. works, right? And that took, all, that took a while because at first, everyone was keen on learning what everybody else is doing mm. and we went through all projects and then mm. we said we're going to sit here all night <laughs> <laughs> right. and then we pared that down that happened already in year one right yeah yeah and there's the 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 mistake you brought up the mistake when, when we're doing something new it's a mistake to think you're going to do it perfectly yeah and that's an important thing to keep in mind and to yeah. back to being kind to ourselves when we do something new, um, there's going to be struggle. We're going to misunderstand yeah. things. And hopefully we've got a coach or and or this reflection and insight cycle, yeah. that, that process that, yeah. that you described. And the, you are so right. And we were, uh, as a Six Sigma folks in that arena, we were really blessed with a very patient, supportive leadership team that would work through the stuff, stick to it, reflect on issues, right? And then drive drive continuous improvement of that process. So that worked very well. But the biggest, and again, in a three-year journey, there are gazillion million mistakes that happens, million <laughs> adjustments. Yeah. But the reason why I picked this subject is because this idea of understand the purpose of a process. Right. No matter what it is we are doing, Without understanding the purpose, we, we can really waste a lot of time, money, and energy. That is that is very true, and I think that's that's a very common problem. Um, there, there, there's an, another or, a common organizational mistake I, I was going to mention to you, and this might be part of the reason why an organization would embrace um, Hoshin Conry or strategy deployment. And, and this I've seen this happen in healthcare. Hmm. Um, if, if you meet with an executive team and they have all you know, the C-level executives and the senior vice presidents, and they, they, they may say, you know, the, the, the problem at a high level is, my gosh, we have so many strategic initiatives, but it seems like nothing's really getting accomplished. And so you go through the exercise of listing out everybody bringing to the table um, from information services and, and um, different care uh, service lines and, and different support departments. What are your quote unquote top 
priority initiatives. And that list might be 300 items. And there's that moment yes. of reflection of like, if we have 300 projects that are all top priority, well, then nothing's top priority. That's right. What, what's your yeah. experience with that? Oh, that is that is completely true, right? It's very easy to lose sight of what is really, really important. And what I also found is that sometimes these 300 projects or whatever it was, 100, 150, they are all part of each other. So sometimes uh, we have what already helped to put all these individual projects in a logical context to each other. And that's the other advantage of a strategic alignment process to understand dependencies and understand what's the overarching initiatives and who is working on pieces of it. When each piece is a project with the same priority or on the same level as everything else, then it's very, very hard to manage. And it's also very hard to understand dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's say there's, you know, 20 of those high project initiatives that are all very dependent on information services. And then information services might say, okay, wait a minute, we can't support all of those initiatives. We either need more resources in some form, or please, as an organization, um, you know, prioritize. You know, I think organizations want to say yes, like these projects sound important. They are strategic. They have a clear ROI. But what I've seen happen through strategy deployment, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Instead of saying yes, no, it's more a matter of saying yes, right now, yes, but later, or no, right? Yes. I also find now um, that this strategy alignment process helps to channel the problem-solving energy of the people. When you, when we lead out with saying, here's where we want to take the company, here are the key things that we need to get done in the market, the, the, the mindset and the thinking of the employees who want to contribute to the company's success are automatically channeled so that they come up with things that help to further that cause. So I found there is an incredible benefit outside the pure management of getting stuff done. The communication of what's important helps to to like limit the number of ideas that are coming up before they even are on the table and the manager needs to say yes or no or now or later. Yeah. And 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 this matrix that Martina is referring to, if people want to go look this up, there, there's a tool um, often called an X matrix. You can yeah. go and Google this and look for examples. Um, there's not just the uh, prioritization of what to do, but there's also then in that matrix, and so it can be a complicated diagram to look at, um, alignment to um, goals and measures, right? So it, it talks about the why things are a priority. That's that's very helpful, right? Yeah, that is, that is very helpful. I agree. So... Let's step back and talk a little bit more broadly, you know, from your experience as a leader and, and, and driving improvement and change, you know, you, you, you've emphasized, you know, so well, one of our key points in the podcast about learning from mistakes, and you've talked about organizational learning. Uh, what, what, what are some of your thoughts about, you know, creating a culture in a workplace? Like what do leaders need to do 
to make this idea of learning from mistakes or learning in general? What? Yeah. Learning from mistakes. How do we make that a reality learning from in a company? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think it starts at the top with with values, right? We if if learning is not an expressed value of the organization, then it will not happen. But it doesn't end there. It would then go down to leadership behaviors where leaders are open to acknowledge mistakes or share how they learned. Uh, that is very important because the worst thing that can happen is that that problems are swept under the rug and and hidden, right? And then there is no learning. And then operationally, I think there need to be the mechanisms to allow people to learn and experiment. In a top-down culture, it's command and control and say, you do as told uh, and tell me when you're done. Uh, that will not happen. It's very important to allow the space for employees to get stretch assignments, to experiment, and then share the learning uh, in a community or in a forum. Uh, I mean, that's one of the underpinnings of every continuous improvement program. That's why it's implemented as a program to highlight attention, to give attention to these ideas of problem-solving, continuous improvement, and the engagement of the whole workforce in it. Over time, it should become a piece of a culture where it's naturally that people look at the process, call out issues, and then uh, are able to learn from it and continuously improve it. Yeah. And, and gosh, what you say there about leadership behaviors and responding to things and admitting things and um, you know, back to your story, you know, it makes me think of the idea or, you know, let me ask it as a question of whether, you know, how comfortable were you as a leader to admit some of these mistakes or adjustments about the strategy deployment process? And how did people working for you react to any admission or adjustment like that? Yeah, my team was pretty open. I was in a gist of it visit and realized how much preparation there is. They would come forward and said, Jesus is a lot of redundant work, Martina. We just did this. Now we just importing all of this into another format for the sakes of <laughs> formatting it. And so of course they came forward. And then I listened to feedback. My manager listens to feedback. But what I loved about my manager, who was a CEO of the company, He's not someone you could go in and just whine and complain, right? So it, he was very matter of fact. I said, what's the issue? What's not working? Why is it not working? And most importantly, are there some thoughts on how we can improve it? And so he had the right behavior because we could easily have come together for a whole pity party and said, this whole thing doesn't work and we're going to throw it out the window. We were in enough pain, right, to, to wanting to do that. But it's this mindset that on the other, on one hand, being uh, pers persistent and, and having the strength to pull through something, but on the other hand, also doing really root cause analysis and say, what is it that's not working here? And so it took some convincing, right? So just off the cuff saying, well, we don't like this and we throw it out, doesn't work. But I was... That leadership team was then very open to that change. And the prime reason, though, was we all experienced the pain. Yeah. And it sounds like you all reacted 
responded to that in a really constructive way of, like you said, not having a pity party, not having a blame battle. Of yeah. Who's, <laughs> whose fault was it that we were yeah. doing this wrong? That's, I mean, that, that's, it's really good to hear that it was, um, that sounds like, you know, a healthy way of um, yeah. reacting to that situation. Yeah, I think so. And that is the most critical thing, right? It's that leaders are role models that things will not always work right. Things will not be perfect. Things can always be improved. And and people uh, make mistakes. And by the way, a mistake, right? I, I learned, I heard that the other day, nobody can go and purposefully make a mistake mm-hmm. because a mistake right. is always an assessment in areas. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. So, and so knowing that, right, uh, is is another way to say, look, we need to assess, reflect. That's another key thing of the PDCA cycle, right? And then assess together if things achieve the yeah. outcomes we wanted yeah. to achieve. Yeah. And that's a discipline. That's not a, da- ga- a blame game. It's a, right. It's a discipline. Yeah. And oh, you. I mean, you summarized. I, I, I love pointing out that, that, that definition, like everybody who's come on this podcast and shared a story, you know, the, the, the mistake was something that they thought was a good idea at the time. Yes. You know, and, and, and maybe it took minutes or hours or months or years to, as you said, to look backward, to discover that there was, um, you know, faulty assumption or, or something that led lack of information, something that led to the mistake, because otherwise, like if, if it's intentional, we would use the word sabotage. That's precisely right. Yes. And we went in, we thought we were eating the wisdom by the spoon, right? With this yeah. new process we were implementing and we were superstars, right? Until then suddenly this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, w- it would be a mistake to not listen to that. Yeah sense of wait because so, yeah. sometimes organizations are stubborn leaders don't want to admit there's any problem and we just we they they they, they shove that doubt aside and they keep plowing forward and, and yeah they are so process focused right and so this is something that that i experience with a lot of the lean tools right when we are so process focused so by the books that we are forget again forgetting the purpose you know i use the strategy alignment process because that that had the biggest impact on me and that's where i really got my own clarity but it's true for every any tool we are using any best practice we are pulling into our own organizations always anchor it into what is this thing meant to do for us mm, right why Not are we inside doing, of that right. yeah right why are we doing that yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, again, our guest is Martina Kuhlmeyer. Um, I want to ask you a couple other, maybe, you know, high-level questions before we wrap up here, based on your experience here. I, I love. I think you, you use the phrase strategy alignment, and it, I think it's more typical um, for organizations to use the phrase I was using strategy deployment. But you're making me think strategy alignment is, I, I think, actually a better descriptor because. Deployment almost sounds like one direction, like top-down yes. deployment, as opposed to getting alignment over time. Yes. So I just wanted to share 
you, you, you really made me think about that. But the question I wanted to ask you more broadly was about jargon. Like, is it a mistake? Would, would it have been a mistake to label all of this with Japanese words like Hoshinkanri or other jargon related to yeah. lean or Six Sigma? Yeah, and we had those battles, right? Yeah. So I think uh, language, especially in large organizations, is critical. And we very often uh, fall prey to labeling something that it isn't. So no matter, I, I believe every organization should find their own language. If they like the Japanese terms, great. If they want to uh, find something else that's that's more relevant for where they are, with their culture and with their journey, that is critical. The, the only thing that's really critical, well, I say it doesn't matter how you call things, but make sure within your organization, everybody knows what it means. And in this particular example, strategy deployment versus strategy alignment, we came in and said, this is the strategy deployment process. And the executives that was at another company now said, no, 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 no. We don't need strategy deployment. We know how to deploy our strategy. Don't yeah, get yeah, into yeah, our yeah. turf here. But, but how do we align what we do with corporate, with these other business units, with shared markets? Mm -hmm. So out of that discussion, again, and it was a long discussion. It wasn't just a half hour talk. Right. It's <laughs> came, a battle, maybe. Yeah. It was a battle. Yeah. But we then align on the term strategy alignment because that is where the organization saw the biggest gap. And that is where they felt the stra strategy alignment or strategy mm -hmm. deployment process could really make a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, maybe a final question related to all of that. Um, you know, a lot of people, I, I guess I've said this too, you know, we talk about the importance of the CEO, not just sponsoring some sort of large scale change initiative, like could be the adoption of Lean or Six Sigma or any combination of those things. Is, is it a mistake to try to take on something like that if the CEO isn't really fully actively leading it? Like, what, what have you learned about that? I have learned that the CEO and the support of the CEO is critical, especially to pivot it from an initiative or project that has a start and an end to become part of the way the organization is operating. So the CEO is critical to, to get the initiative off the ground and continued support is critical so that the initiative or the change that is being introduced becomes part of the culture of the organization. And without CEO support, um, and I'm sure you have seen it too, these continuous improvement initiatives, they, they start, they become big, but then they lose attraction and then they fade, they fizzle out. They can fizzle out or, I mean, I, I would agree with what you're saying about the CEO owning and driving culture. And if we want this, yes. at first, like you said, it's a program, but then it becomes the way we do things, the way we think mm -hmm. that then we, we might define that as culture. When the CEO is driving that, it gives it a, a chance to really sink in. I think the risk, though, um, I've seen in healthcare organizations, without naming names, an organization where they would have said lean and continuous improvement became part of the culture for more than a decade. The risk is bringing in an outsider now as CEO who doesn't share 
as you pointed out earlier, yeah. the same values. And, yes. and, 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 and it can all be dismantled very quickly, again, because of the CEO and the influence they Clearly. have. Without a doubt, and I've seen it myself, right? When when a new CEO comes in and says, this is not, not worth it doing, I don't see the benefit, I've had all of that, and then suddenly the program gets, the resources get operationalized, <laughs> right? That, that means significant change, and then this whole uh, work or the initiative or the achievements to that date fall off a cliff. If an you know if, if the first CEO can change culture in one direction, a new CEO can come in and take change it in another direction or take it back to the way it yeah. had been. And even if like thinking and mindsets are embedded in people's minds, they will adapt quickly. If yeah. the culture had shifted from hiding problems to surfacing problems, and the new CEO comes in and immediately starts blaming and yelling at people and firing them when problems are discovered, self-preservation means very quickly, okay, very quickly. I, I've gone back to the old culture. I might not like it, but I'll do it to survive, right? Yeah, yeah, That's... exactly right. And what I also found is that when the initiative, the continuous improvement program stays in the face of being projects, discrete project work, then it has higher likely to be swept aside because there's a new shining object, a new initiative, a new word, right? So I've seen it that we did Six Sigma, then Lean, then Agile came along. And now it was all Agile. But the reality is they are all based on the same principles. So I feel to the extent that we can talk about as implementers, right, like you and I were, uh, to talk at the executive level about the underlying principles that we are trying to ingrain in the organization because that, I think, would give a higher chance of this thing being in, ingrained into culture and also live on. Yeah. So, Martina, thank you for sharing you know, your stories and your experiences and you know, reflections and insights. Um, if people want to learn more, again, our guest has been Martina Kohlmeyer. Her website is powerupyourteam.com. Um, she has a podcast of the same name. Tell us real quickly about the podcast. You know, when someone's done listening to you here, they go and, and, and find your podcast. What, yeah. what types of things are they going to hear? The, the podcast is just small solo episodes. I had some guests recently, and it's focused on providing small nuggets, tips and tricks for how to build a more resilient team. So it's leadership skills, some uh, aspects of Lean Six Sigma, which are at the end of the day, they're all leadership tools. But it's a, it's a little nugget every week that uh, people can incorporate into their leadership style, their leadership behavior, and their, their, their way of leading. Yeah. So I hope people will check that out and, and not listen to it instead of listening to my favorite mistake, but in addition to. <laughs> yeah, my episodes are shorter. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I'm looking at the list here, um, episode 32. I It's only six minutes long. I am going to listen to this today. It says, the single thing that will ruin your culture. So that's certainly, Yeah. I want to hear your thought on that. And I hope our listeners will go check it out as well. Thank so, you. Martina, thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for being 
uh, a guest. Thanks again to Karen Ross for yes. introducing us. And um, we both, you know, give a shout out to Karen and um, what she calls the uh, the Loving Kindness Foundation. Um, you, you can I, you can Google it. I was about to try to find the website address, but rather than making a mistake, um, you can just uh, search for that. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Perfect. Yeah, it was a pleasure being here. I enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Well, thanks again to Martina for being our guest today. To learn more about her and everything she does, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 187. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.